Do you got your phone? I'm pulling it out, but I want to know what I'm doing here. Uh, you're voting for the fate of the Bargerian Jade. Bargerian Jade? Yes. What? I, can you give me some context? The Bargerian Jade is a ship that is being tried for financial crimes. You should listen to Mission to Zix. Wait, what's the option that I'm voting for? One is innocent, two is guilty, and I believe I believe that in the totality of the evidence, the Bargerian Jade is innocent. <laughs> I feel like I should vote guilty just to spite you. No, uh, that would are... negate my participation. <laughs> hmm. Hold on, a selection has been made. Starting in three, two, one. Sorry, can you cut that down again? <sighs> 50 episodes of this, Sam. <laughs> in three, two, one. Welcome to Brokusatsu, two brothers' exploration of Tokusatsu shows and associated media. I'm Harry. And I'm Sam. And I just want to send out an apology to all our listeners for putting out 50 episodes of this. You've been with us through Thick and Thin? through uh, pretty, shot- pretty much Thin. I'm going to go with, yeah. like, Thin. Just 100% Thin. I did shout into the back of a directional microphone for about half a year. And you, against all odds, a certain number of people have listened to that. And thank you for that. <laughs> thank you. And we're sorry. And we we probably owe you something, so just just send us a message and and we'll figure out what that is. Yeah, we'll, we'll buy you lunch. Just <laughs> <laughs> yes, we will. <laughs> if someone if someone writes in and uh, no like, no write in person in. what in person they have to find us. No 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 no. Post uh, on our this... like Facebook group like uh, just a receipt of like a lunch. Uh, you know, under ten dollars, we're not. I'm you not, know, we're not made of money. I'm not making this offer. I, I was doing an intro into. I was trying to. So here was the transition. I was attempting. So I'm not giving away fucking free money uh, to <laughs> random people. No, uh, I will so, literally buy you, someone's lunch so long as it's less than ten dollars. Just post a receipt and then PM a uh, PM an email and I'll PayPal it to you. Can Can I post a receipt? No, fuck you. Okay. Anyway, here's the transition I was gonna do. Uh, you you'll need to find us in person. And you, it'll be slightly more possible to do that after this, because for our one-year anniversary episode, we've decided to kind of aim a little bit more at personal information for both me and Sam. <laughs> we're covering episodes that were released around the time that we were born. Also, I should point out, uh, Harry says this is our one-year anniversary episode. Uh, that is a lie. This is episode 50, which is not one year. It's almost one year. <laughs> But I think we lost a couple weeks. Like, we lost a week, and then there was another week where we did a commentary track. And, like, I think our first episode is in August. Like, let me pull it up. Wait, did do we not count the commentary track, Harry? I think one of the commentary tracks I listed something else. So, scrolling all the way down. Uh, Harry, first... Harry, I trusted on you for the math. I'm not going to do the math. <laughs> uh, well, the first episode is August 15th, 2018. Ah. So this will this will be releasing on August 11th, 2018. So that's fucking close enough, Sam. God damn it. 
Speaking of close enough, I don't think either of us were born on a Sunday, which is the day these were released. So like they're they're in the ballpark, but they're not like on the days we were born. They're they're on a weekend, and I tried to I picked the episodes close that were interesting looking based on the titles. Great and uh, interesting. Yes, I will. I will absolutely give you credit for interesting. Uh, this was suge- this was a suggestion from Daniel K. Uh, thank you, Daniel K. Uh, any other listeners, feel free to throw suggestions because. Like one guy has gotten two episodes based on requests, so we're 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 done for whatever. <laughs> but no, first off, we're starting with an episode of Space Sheriff Shider. Yay! Released on October twenty sixth, in the vicinity of Sam's actual release onto this unsuspecting Earth. Uh, as this show begins, uh, Harry uh, sent a very like pressing and semi-threatening request that I actually watch the opening credits for these shows, and so. Against my better judgment, I did. Uh, and there's a theme in both of them that both of them feed their their 80s shows, and uh, they both have cars driving off of cliffs exploding into the very stock footage way. So it's it's that era of show. Yes, I believe uh, MacGyver also had this in its opening credits. The A-Team definitely had this in its opening credits. Just if you see a car, you see a cliff, you got an explosion, that's your opening credits right there. But then when we get through that and uh, like just make character drive through boxes, stuff like that, we start into the episode proper, where a man is uh, laying on a table, being looked at by a very goofy dressed Gigla Gigla enemies right here. Yeah, I'm going to go with, I wasn't sure, I kind of called this like pseudo-Egyptian gear, uh, maybe kind of traditional uh, Indian gear, like, or some kind <laughs> well, of unclear mix of whatever the hell they could find in the costume shop when they were putting on production. Okay, so there's a guy uh, with a horned disco ball hat. There's another guy in an armored turban who's flanked by, like, five ladies in Viking gear. And their, like, mooks, their minor henchmen all have big toothed uh, demon masks that might be from no theater, something like that. So I actually, uh, Harry, on on the subject of the mooks, I've got to just kind of start this right now. Like, for me, they looked a fuck ton like Tendotion Raiders from Star Trek, uh, wearing just kind of, like, casual evening gear. Or Star Wars, or Tusken Raiders. Okay, because I was like, what What word did he use there? Did you mean to say Trandoshan? Because that's also something else. Harry, this is me. This is me in pronunciation. I got it in two. That's pretty good. <laughs> you know what? You're right. You, you clear that bar. Anyway, they've been experimenting on making creatures out of dead animals and humans. And as we see, a monster mask gets put on this guy on a table, and some lightning shoots him, and he is a creature from the Black Lagoon. But only from the shoulders up, because the rest of them is just in shorts. This is a low-budget series. Yeah, also, this is definitely a guy that they make, like, swim a lot in this episode. And if they put him in any more of a costume, the risk of drowning would be a little bit too much, even for the 80s. You you underestimate Toei. No, I I really don't. I really don't. But this isn't the 70s, Harry. This is the 80s. There are goddamn standards. The villain, I think the one with, like, the armored turban says, Alright, you owe us your life, so you gotta work for us. And then they talk to a big face on a wall, which congratulates them. The villain plan of the week is to create an underwater paradise. Also, the uh, villain that is explaining this, the one with the disco ball uh, turban, uh, appears to be like, you know, a very uh, trans slash uh, 80s trope of the villain is default gay. Yeah, queer coded villains. It's it's a thing that kind of sucks. Although I will say that kind of for the remainder of the episode, the gender politics, not bad. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, the well, they are the, it's not great, because the next line from the big face on the wall is great. 
make some underwater female slaves and preferably uh, young and pretty ones. You get me? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, to make them into mermaids, like they, their plan is to. Uh, I kind of, what the hell is the plot of this series, Harry? Because like the the villain plan of the week is to create mermaids to create an underwater paradise. He's a space sheriff, like a, a little bit like a Green Lantern type thing. So I think uh, it started with Gavon, but then there was Shervin and Shider, stuff like that. It's just a series of space sheriffs. And Wait, I this is an entire this is an entire series. This is like a common rider. This is a Super Sentai. There's like a different space sheriff every year. Uh, there was a couple, and then so technically both of the shows we watched are from the Metal Heroes series, which are they're a little bit like Common Rider in that there's not much continuity between them. It's just kind of a similar creative team who's doing shows like this. I'm not familiar enough with them to really talk about any of riding themes, but they had a couple space sheriffs. They did uh, the Ninja Guy. I think Beetleborg's the one we know of. That's actually another one in this kind of, uh, by this creative team, uh, Metal Heroes. Yeah, I was actually, so the the costume for this guy from this series, it looks really familiar, Harry. I was kind of wondering, like, do we know if this costume was ever ported over to the US for like a knockoff show? I think they tried to make something Gavon based, but they didn't. I'm willing to bet I had like a toy of this back when we were like five. We probably just got a generic toy brought up from, from Japan. It's like Cyborg Fighter, you know? Yeah. You would get a couple dollars. Yes, exactly. Just cheap knockoff dollar store toy. In any case, the big face on the wall shoots an egg with lightning, and a plant monster bursts out. So that's the thing for this week. Uh, kind of looks like a mushroom with tentacles, like octopus, something like sea monster. So the next shot is the main characters go to the zoo. They hang out with kangaroos. So the sheriff guy and his assistant, Annie... They're on vacation on Namagawa Island, and there's a there's a long scene where it's clear, like, hey, we could rent out this part of the zoo for cheap, and then we could just get some footage, so let's go to the zoo and look at the animals. Do you think this is the same zoo, Harry? I would love it if this was the same zoo. It absolutely could be the same zoo. What were these kids grew up to be, to, to be Rico? Entirely possible. Like, Toku hangs on to actors, Harry, and this is from the 80s. Do we want to actually look up and see if any of these kids turned into Sentai in the future? Uh, no, because either that's uh, kind of interesting or super depressing if, you know, uh, like, Sam, we're talking about an age where they probably got drug addictions and died, like, you know, decades ago. Oh, yeah. But the flamingos dance. The main two people who are like the space sheriff and assistant, and then there's a gaggle of just kids and a chubby doctor guy who are kind of there to be abducted by the villains of the week. Uh, yes, the person what is, you know, abducted every week by the villains in this series appears to be just kind of an old, doddering man. Like I said, the gender politics. Kind of okay in this show. Yeah, so the uh, the kids arrive uh, to the zoo, and uh, just a bunch of adorable ones. Uh, we see the old, doddering teacher, old man, scientist. I have no idea what the hell he is, and we're never going to watch the show again. He's uh, a but doctor. He's- He's kind of uh, freaking out uh, to another assistant there, uh, helping with the kids about a woman not showing up, and he was going to tell her his true feelings. And I'm sure that this is like, you know, part of a long-term plot that was going to be paying off that we will never, ever see. Yeah. Meanwhile, off on the beach, uh, there is a lady getting like a photo shoot. She's just up on a rock posing while a guy's taking some photos. And nearby, one of the one of the villain persons in more normal civilian clothing. Uh, is kind of surveying him, saying like, "Yes, th- this will. Th- this one's uh, young and pretty enough for our boss." 
Well, it's not one. There's like a half dozen there. There's like one of the main ones and then like a half dozen mooks. And they're all they're all in kind of stylish swimwear. Yeah, like he he kind of just has the five ladies in Viking gear. I mean, they're in civilian clothes, but they're just kind of always next to him and not really doing anything. Well, they do a little bit uh, in the future. The doctor checks into the hotel with the kids. Like they, how cozy they say the room, which is like, oh, we could spring for a good room. But they can't see the beach. There's some synchronized taking the shades off of some of the female assistant villain people coming up. They grab the photographer dude, and the girl is grabbed by the plant monster. Uh, the girl is taken away, and as she is being pulled into the wa- uh, into the water, the photographer manages to get a photograph of it. Pretty good reflexes. And then the uh, Viking girls are uh, trivially overpowered by the photographer as he is just flailing and running away, and he manages to get to the resort. Uh, because apparently the villains decided that the one spot on all of Earth that they wanted to start abducting people was right outside this specific hotel that the hero was staying at. Like, these guys are from space. I really gotta I really gotta wonder if they can't go to a different country. I know, I know. And I know that it's a trope, and I know that I should stop caring about it. But holy shit, they attacked, like, 50 yards from the hero. Because, like, a guy just runs into the resort saying, Hey, a monster just attacked a lady at the beach, help! And the two best people to help him kind of nod to each other and run forward, saying, like, hey, uh, did you see the monster? He says, no, but, I mean, I, I took a photo. <laughs> that's that's the best situation. Like, another 200 yards away, he would have run to a different building. Yeah. Like, then this episode wouldn't have happened. And they would have got their underwater paradise and won? Again, not entirely sure about that. So there's a brief scene of back at the villain hideout where the lady is thrown into a metal cage, saying like, all right, the, you're you're good and pretty. The Lord's going to like you. Mm-hmm. And then we cut to just the saddest lady staring at an ocean. She has a yes. boombox playing sad music. She is holding flowers. She is wearing all white. And she is, you know, clearly there because someone uh, she cared about is missing or dead or a ghost or is about to come up behind her and try and get her attention. So the... The creature from the Black Lagoon guy, at least this face, walks up and he has the watch in one hand. And he's clearly doing hand motions to be like, hey, pay attention. I, I gotta say something, but I don't talk like a person anymore. Yes, the woman turns around. She screams like, oh, no, monster. Why are you waving a watch at me? Wait, that's my brother's watch. I'm not putting two and two together. Shredder has seen the monster and not realizing that there's an entirely different coincidental monster thing going on here. He rushes forward and jump kicks him. And scares the uh, creature from the Black Lagoon away. And uh, she she explains a little bit uh, about what's going on. And to the hero's credit, uh, the next scene, he kind of puts it together. Like, yeah, she was approached by a monster that was trying to get her attention. I think it might have been her brother. Her brother who went diving and has been missing for a week. And that boombox was playing his uh, favorite song, which is a very sad song. Harry, if you were lost at sea and we were standing on sea, what song would you want? Or what song would you want us to play just into the distance, staring wistfully to you know, kind of hope that you came back? Something by Pink, maybe, maybe a little Led Zeppelin. Uh, keeping it with Toku theme, probably like the Power Rangers Zio theme. That really gets me pumped up. Power Rangers Zio. Okay, I'm writing a note for that for when you are lost at sea. Elsewhere, there's another lady getting grabbed. Yes, uh, in a pool, in the hotel pool, like they did. They're just staying right there, you know. They just camped right there, right outside the hotel, so they decide to go into the hotel for someone. And they're targeting a second person uh, wearing swimwear. So I kind of got to assume, like, these people, they're being turned into mermaids. Do the villains not have extra swimsuits? Yeah, they they might just be going for the economy of the whole situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, uh, 
So it's a, a friend lady of the doctor who jumps into the pool and kind of disappears under. And the doctor, when she doesn't show up again, starts running to the side of the pool and yelling. Because he guess he's not a doctor of helping people out of drowning. Because that's not the best solution. Oh, uh, I mean, we saw him in the pool a little while ago when he, you know, comedically fell in. Uh, him jumping in after her probably would have hampered the situation. Uh, Shider jumps, shows up. He jumps into the pool. And then they do the thing where they reverse the footage of him jumping into the pool in costume. So he kind of pops back out, transformed into Shider. And we have a team fight uh, because the, the monster is here and then the rest of the baddies immediately show up. And uh, so the sheriff is uh, shooting people with his video gun and uh, his assistant is actually, you know, a well-trained fighter and she's holding her own. All right. So I guess they don't, the the monster suit this time, It's it looks pretty clunky. So I guess the thing they're doing is Shiner is fighting him off screen. Annie, for her part, is doing crazy kung fu against like all of the other villains, like the whole... The five subordinate ladies, they have chain weapons that are, like, tying her up. But she's still, like, dodging between them and, like, kicking them. And Eddie's doing great. Goddamn. Yeah, yeah. Like, the actress, clearly, you know, a well-trained martial artist. It's the point where she's fighting back-to-back with Shatter at several moments and there doesn't seem to be a huge disparity in power between them. Yeah, like like we were saying, good gender politics on this one. Uh, but the monster, they do get the lady. And they also just kind of bring the doctor along for the ride. And when they get to the villain base, the, the villain is like, all right, uh, good, you got another one. Uh, but we need three, though. We basically need three to create our society. Hey, uh, Black Lagoon creature guy, uh, you you have a sister. <laughs> go, go grab her. Now, if they're trying to create a society from, like, a genetic pool, do they really want to grab this guy's sister? Because, like, again, I, I'm still not entirely sure why they're trying to create mermaids in the first place. Like, like I wasn't, e- I wasn't even thinking of them like breeding a whole race. I thought that they were just like getting workers or something. To do what, Harry? What are they trying to do? Maybe it's like a villain plot. Like they need, like we need a first test batch to show that this works, and then we can get some investors. Are they trying to like create an undersea like Cobra base or Decepticon base? I guess mermaids would be a valuable asset in that kind of construction. But the monster face of the wall really just said, "I just want young and pretty ones." So is this just? Is this just the monster face, like, having, like, a week off? Like, well, just get me some hot like, young ladies that are meant to mermaids. This is a bee week. This is my kink. Don't judge me. There is a girl. The girl, the sad girl on the beach is still sad, still on the beach. She's got her boombox. And the merman shows up and kind of starts trying to abduct her this time. Uh, but he is fought off by the sheriff and the assistant. And before he dives in the water, uh, they tag him uh, with an electronic uh, tracker. He runs off. He's back at the base. And then, uh... Like, the, the doctor guy is just screaming, please don't do this transformer thing, and the just just shouting at him to shut up. The creature from the Black Lagoon shows up at the base, uh, they ask why he doesn't have a girl, uh, then they ask, wait, what's that electronic, obviously a tracker on you? And then they actually start to fight, like, the, uh, the evil mastermind uh, punches the creature, then the creature attacks back, and they throw down a little bit. But he quickly gets taken out, he gets stabbed in the neck, and goes down, and that's it for uh, Shape of Water. Uh, but, uh, then the heroes show up. Yeah, it's, it's pretty accelerated at this point. Like, uh, the sheriff and the assistant, they show up, uh, they, you know, chase the, uh, bad guys away, like the one with the, uh, disco ball turban kind of blinks out of existence. And then, Sam, something you gotta understand. Shider can complete his transformation in one millisecond. To explain this transformation, uh, Shider showers himself with plasma blue energy from the Valvios. It takes one millisecond to complete the whole process. Because that's... There's a scene where it cuts away and it has that whole explanation and shows it. 
Would you believe, Sam, it shows that in every episode of the show? Really? Like, that's that's a major thing in Gavon. Like, when he's fighting, he transforms, then basically he pauses, and the narrator's like, here's how he can actually transform. And then he shows you. I love that they have, like, a 45-second explanation for how he can transform in a millisecond. That seems like an awful economics of time right there. Anyway, Annie summons a fighter jet and starts fighting the villains of the sky. I, is Shider her sidekick? I kind of think she is. Like, she's the fighter pilot. She's clearly the better hand-to-hand combatant. He's just kind of the the do for the sheriff that actually got the power armor suit. Maybe, maybe. Like, she's Han Solo. He's Luke Skywalker. Like, which one is the hero? You know? She's clearly the more interesting one. Yeah, she's the fan favorite. Uh, Shider, he does have has to do a special thing, because the face of the wall creates a, uh, what is it, a strange realm? He opens it up. And throws Shatter and the monster into it. Yes, and the monsters are four times stronger in the Strange Realm, Harry. They're four times stronger and ten times cheaper. There's a lot of this part where Shatter is just running around where big drawings of sharks are just pulled across the top of the screen and he's like dodging under them. Like It's not cartoon or CGI or anything. It's just like a big drawing of a shark is, is PowerPoint moving across the screen. Yeah, it, it does kind of... I'm not sure if they were intentionally, like, doing a Doctor Strange kind of analog here, but it, it's basically that. It's an acid trip realm where, you know, monsters are and he's being threatened and reality isn't quite what it seems and monsters are marginally stronger. This is, again, it's a thing that shows up in a lot of the Space Sheriff series. They, The monsters can go into a different realm where they're stronger and they, you know, you gotta beat them there. And the, the effects are weird. But anyway, uh... The monster, he's, like, kind of large to do the photo effects, and uh, Shider, he counters this by summoning his own special giant spacecraft, creating a large holographic version of himself, and the entire spacecraft turns into a big gun and shoots the monster. Yeah, his, like, uh, his space carrier turns into a double-barrel 1911, and it blows up a tank. Uh, pretty cool. Not bad. And also very toyable. So he does some poses, and that's pretty much it for the monster. So we cut back to the pool. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, he uh, summons a, he has to summon a lightsaber and destroy the water monster, Harry. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, there's multiple stages to killing this thing. This is straight up a Star Wars ripoff. Like, he has a lightsaber. They have Tusken Raiders. Like, there was, there was a space fight between fighters, Harry. I don't think Star Wars owns Glowing Sword. I feel like lots of people done that. Uh, um, when you add on the Tusken Raiders, though. It's not that Tusken Raider looking. Like, I, I was saying, I do think it is a no-mask. So again, I think Star Wars may have been this. <sighs> yes, okay, yep, there, there's kind of a cross-pollination going on here, but it was it was itching a lot of the Star Wars stuff for me. Fair enough. See, that that's your that's your perspective, Sam. But yeah, so after they defeat the monster, uh, they return to the pool, and they return to the girl... Uh, who is still standing at the sea, and they say that they think that her brother must be in heaven now. They have about a minute left of the episode, so Shatter really does walk up to this lady and just say very quickly, yeah, oh, he isn't coming back, he's in a better place now. And the lady just turns to him and says, like, he's in heaven, I'm sure of it. So, yeah, I'm playing the song for him. Yeah, and then she has a quick flash, or I'm not sure if this is a flashback of her brother, or if she's having a little bit of a fantasy, but, you know, we kind of see her and her brother running on the beach uh, before cutting back to, you know, her just kind of looking sad and morose. As uh, the narrator says that her brother made a noble sacrifice for her. He didn't lose his humanity, and as a result, Fuma's evil and unforgivable plans backfired. Space Sheriff Shider. And then there's some funky credits. And that's it for that show. That was, honestly, I, I kind of like that one, Harry. 
Yep. How do you feel that the the television of this era influenced your birth, Sam? Uh, well, I'm fairly certain that uh, no one in my family before today has ever seen this episode of television. So this, I'm going to say, not a whole lot. I mean, like thematically, like the the themes and stuff that they were working with, the the artistic techniques. Uh, which were very Star Wars inspired. Oh, that influenced my life a fuck ton. Big Star Wars fans growing up. And still, I guess. Uh, but let's move on to the Im- improved sibling and the improved episode. Because I like this one, a lot, this next one a lot more. Oh, Harry, this one was... Uh, we'll get into it, but... So, the ninja show. I like it, but also problematic, maybe. Uh... I'm not sure problematic is the right word. Like, I... we'll, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. Sekai Ninja, Senjuraya, episode 14. Little Life's Burning Explosive Ninja Rocket Man. Uh, me seeing that episode title is a large reason why we're doing this special. That is an awesome episode title. And this was a uh, this was an episode that definitely had that. Released on April 24th, 1988, very close to my own birthday. So, yeah, for the opening credits, we have... We see a helicopter. We see a ninja jumping out of a helicopter onto moving cars... Which is a seriously dangerous stunt, and it looks like he did it in full costume. Yeah, and uh, when we say cars, I guess this is something that I've gotten used to in later series, where the cars are much more, like, professional-looking or dark or stuff like that. These are just, like, regular street cars. Like, it's almost they're driving around in Toyotas and stuff. Those are 100% Toyota Corollas, Harry. And they're rolling around and they're exploding, which is kind of ridiculous, because Toyota Corollas have a great safety rating. The pride of Japan, their cars. Yep, we see a scene where the ninja is running through an office building, and it's awkward because all the employees are kind of glancing at him and glancing at each other and saying, what the hell is going on? Same office building from uh, the Sentai where they keep getting the weird monster effects. Yeah, probably. That's the life of that office building, Harry. (laughs) Life of Toku office. So, uh, when we come out of the credits, we immediately see so many goddamn explosions. There's rockets firing at buildings, like models blowing up in cities. Tankers, tanker ships are being exploded, skyscrapers, like, just a lot of death and destruction immediately off the top. Uh, and a news lady explains, many explosions have happened worldwide, causing a panic. And, uh, it was all for ransom. They were getting demands, and when they weren't met, the explosions happened. And we think it was done by what the news is deeming, Explosive Ninja Rocket Man. <laughs> Cut to a ninja school. Yes, uh, Ninja School, where the main character and his love interest are hanging out with uh, the father. And the father hears that... Might uh, be his sister. It's a family dojo. It's, I mean, it's the lady ninja in the series, so it's either a sister or presumed love interest. But anyway, the father hears about this, and he's like, Wait, explosive ninja rocket man? I know of him. He's a ninja from the United States. He's a world ninja. His explosive skills led to the title, the explosive ninja. Because... During the Vietnam War, he fought in many battles and won many medals. <laughs> There's a scene of, like, a, a Caucasian man in military gear just running through explosions. Uh, he has a rocket launcher, and then he just goes prone and, like, fires a rocket at, like, an entrenched machine gun position. Now, when we say a rocket launcher, we don't want you, if we say those words, what we don't want you to envision is an actual rocket launcher from the Vietnam War. What we want you to envision is a rocket launcher like you would find on a G.I. Joe toy from the late 1980s, like, blown up to human size that this person is carrying around. Well, he did customize all his own explosives, Sam. He, <laughs> he was famous for it. He could crush the enemy with just one shot from his rocket launcher. 
So he was an unmatched sniper. Yeah. Does it count as a sniper if you're sniping with a rocket? I mean, I guess. I I, I think maybe in this episode someone was like, hey, we want to have a cool sniper from Vietnam. And they're like, oh, that's too valid. What if it's a rocket launcher? Give this man a raise. <laughs> he was said to have disappeared during a battle near the end of the war. And now he's here. After that, we jump to the enemy base where we find people wearing ninja gear, I guess. And there's also, there's a bird. He was on the phone. Yeah, there's just dudes in what you would think is like traditional fantasy ninja gear, like the helmets and clothes and stuff like that. There's Tengu. Those are the birdmen. I wouldn't say traditional fantasy ninja gear. I would say final fantasy ninja gear. I, I watch more anime and stuff. This is pretty typical for their their depictions of fantasy ninja. Like if they want to get fantastical about it, it's not just dudes and, you know, well, just dudes in clothing like ninja actually were because they were just spies. I guess I'm objecting to the word traditional, because traditional implies, like, real, whereas this is clearly not. Look, these guys don't want to hide their, their whole affiliation. They have a big sign on the outside of the building that says demon. They they know what they are. <laughs> and they're all just laughing it up, because they've, they have a computer printout showing all of the rents of they've been getting paid. Just huge hundreds of millions of yen. Yes, the crow on a phone just finished extorting a hundred million from an oil tanker company, which they're saying is a bargain for peace of mind. Yeah, I mean, fuck, oil tankers make so much money, that's like nothing. What's that, an hour for them? Yeah, fair enough. But yeah, uh, then they're called outside after all the laughing is done, uh, where one of their subordinates is rolling out a rocket tank. And I wasn't entirely clear at this point if this was the rocket ninja or if this was a uh, standard person. We will, of course, find out later. It's just a ninja guy in the traditional ninja camo of pink and black stripes. Yep. Back to the dojo uh, where people are training. The main character is being kind of comedically beat over the head by his father. Uh, and two adorable children uh, run in to give a little bit more exposition. A child and a dog. Like the other child doesn't show up until later. Ah, okay. But uh, he's shouting that uh, there's a news threat, or there's a threat on the news uh, for the bullet train. Which his father is in charge of. Uh, a friend of his, a friend of his, uh, his father. The father of a friend of his. Oh, I thought that this was also the guy's, uh, uh, the guy's kid. No, I, I gotta assume that it's just the thing where he has bunches of friends that are tangentially related to the stuff, so they have a way to tie him in. Oh, okay, okay. So this is the adorable child that uh, hands them the plot in a lot of different episodes. And we cut to a news conference with the, like, uh, just a older man wearing glasses saying, yes, we've decided to, you know, not uh, pay the ransom because that's just the way you gotta deal with terrorists like this. We think it's a prank. Yes. After all the explosions and deaths, they think it's a prank. And he has a very photogenic moment when in front of the reporters, his young daughter shows up and is like, hey, we were worried you were in trouble. He's like, oh, no, you're very adorable. Yes, tell, tell your mom I'm fine. Uh, so the main character is there observing the press conference, um, but then as he's going outside and all the cameras are following the man, uh, the ninja notices that there is a Tengu uh, across the way on a building kind of observing things. And he gets into a very slow car chase. Like, they're going like 20, 30 miles per hour, and there's like a bird just slowly flapping through the air behind the car. No, don't, don't say flapping, Harry. Do not say flapping. He was breaststroking. He was like, you know... He was dog paddling through the air. <laughs> like this this was a tegu, like they got a man. It looked like it looked like he was on wires. Like they just had this man in a bird costume dressed like a giant crow, just swimming, just kind of, you know, breast stroking through the air. Not flapping. That would be too that would be too real. 
This tango was clearly swimming. And the chase goes on for a couple minutes before they are interrupted by a rocket coming in. And we quickly see what Rocketman actually looks like. Sam, do you want to describe Rocketman's costume? It's a fucking KKK Grand Wizard. Well, oh, okay. No, it's not. But they didn't know that, and it's very similar. So it's... He's all in white, and his head has, like, kind of a pointy... His head is like a rocket. He is a rocket. And I don't think they know as much about the KKK. It's very KKK-looking. But he has, like, little fins on the top. Oh, Harry. This was unexpected, Harry. To see, like, a KKK man armed with a rocket launcher driving around on a motorcycle in Japan fighting a giant crow. This is not how I thought this day was going to go for me, Harry. And when Rockman sees Dryab, like, kind of driving around to his, like, Nissan, whatever, I looked it up, it's just a simple streetcar, he starts firing, like, a series of little wrist rockets that he has. He's full-on bullseye, like, he never misses, he has wrist weapons. Uh, but the ninja guy actually deflects one. Then he says, you know, hey, I am, then he drops his name, which I didn't catch, and I'm gonna stop you from blowing up anyone else. At which point, the rocket man, KKK man, he kind of stops him and says, wait, you're you? Oh, I think we're on the same side, because I'm being framed. Yeah, I've just been hiding in the mountains of Vietnam, uh, whatever. And it just gets on his bike and drives off, and dry, doesn't really chase him. Well, he, the rocket man, he flies away, right? Well, he flies away at one point during the fight, but then after he says, oh, hey, you're dry, no, man, we're, I'm a good guy too, don't worry. But he, he just gets on his bike and drives off, and Dryad just casts Dad's there, looking. <laughs> Cut to the villains being what I have to presume is very overconfident. This is episode 14, and, you know, they have to have been foiled like 13 times before. But still, the female ninja of the demon clan is laughing, saying like, Hey, so the super skilled explosion ninja is teaming up with Dryad, who stopped us forever. This is going to be entertaining in how we totally lose. Well, I mean, they have been making a shit ton of money lately, Harry. Like, you say that they've failed 13 times, but this is probably such a financial windfall of an episode for them that they just completely wipe those off the books. But they aren't getting paid anymore because a Tengu comes in comes in with news. Uh, the Japan Rail uh, chief rejected their offer for t- protection. Uh, so they need to step up their game. Uh, so the villains decide to kidnap his daughter... And then they leave a cassette tape behind, which when played says that, you know, they need to turn over the buddy or uh, they'll kill the daughter and blow up every single bullet train in Japan. Uh, th- there's actually a pretty cool shot the way they do it because they set off just looking at the like a tape deck playing the hostage call. But then they slowly open up a little bubble and you see the lady giving the instructions and she kind of up there. It's just a minor like they're doing kind of interesting things with the super low budget they have. And yeah, I like it. And uh, as they're listening to this uh, ransom demand, we jump outside where we see the rocket man listening with like one of those satellite uh, dishes uh, across the street. And he says, oh, no, they're they've kidnapped the young girl. I need to go help them. We get a flashback to his motivation because, hey, rocket man loves uh, um, Okay, let me phrase this correctly. Rocket man knows to protect children. Oh, you were going to phrase that very poorly. I know where that <laughs> yeah. sentence was going, Harry. I caught myself. Because good, there's enough... Good. There's, a, there's a flashback. He's stalking with his sniper rocket launcher through <laughs> Vietnam. And he turns and almost blows away a tiny child. But then he doesn't. And he smiles, he smiles at the child. Uh, and this is partially what convinced him to uh, give up his uh, life of war. Just mm-hmm. to... But- 
go into the mountains and just be himself. Build his rocket suit. He's like a Batman villain who got therapy and decided to just live quietly. So we see uh, the father. Um, he's about to he's about to cave. He's reaching for his phone, at which point the young boy, he says, wait, you're not going to give him the money, are you? And uh, the father says, I need my daughter back. Also, they'll blow up all the trains. What else can we do? And then it cuts. And the, old man t- the old man turns to him and says, well, I am the 34th head of the school of Toku, Toku of Togekure Ryu Ninja Arts. Uh, I'm super great. These guys are ninjas under me. We'll do everything to protect your daughter. And so the guy's stoked. So now uh, we jump to the next scene where we see the leader of the train company uh, showing up for what is clearly a hostage exchange. He is carrying a briefcase, presumably full of money, and he is approaching uh, these abandoned warehouses and just shouting the daughter's name. He sees a red X drawn on the ground and he goes and stands there. And then the ninjas laughing show up to make the exchange. So he hands him the briefcase and they hand him the girl. And as they're walking away, they kind of crack up the briefcase and they find it full of naught but paper. And the ninja turns around and shouts, what is this? And the rail boss turns and says, huh, I should have expected you bastards to separate a father from his daughter. And his voice is different because he takes off his glasses and it's Jiraiya. And he goes to attack the ninja. But then the little girl who's he's holding his head looks up and it's the evil ninja girl. She's just, like, crouching down. Like, what are the physics of this? Well, what are, the phys- what are the physics of any of this, Harry? It's illusion magic. I guess. It's just funny because he looks down. It's just a full-grown woman just sitting on the ground pretending to be a girl. Yep. And so, yeah, the double ambush works. Yep. And they they start shouting, Hey, Jiraiya, don't you care about what happens to this girl? And he starts running after them with a sword. So I guess the answer is no. Yeah. Yeah. I am the prize. He falls off uh, lots of bridges. There's lots of explosions. Uh, a thing keeps happening where there's an explosion and he changes mid-explosion. And so the enemies really should just not fire rockets at him so he couldn't so he couldn't power up. But they do get to a point where uh, he's kind of in the middle of a quarry, of course. And he's surrounded by Tengu. And uh, then they bring out the rocket cannon. And they kind of point it at him. Uh, he talks a little bit tough. But then they change the aim of the rocket's uh, cannon up to the little girl at the end of the thing. And they say, hey, give up or we're going to blow her up. There's a there's a thing with I have to presume is a MacGuffin for the series. He has like a piece of a tablet. And I guess it's important. I don't know. But the whole crisis is resolved when our hero Rocket Man shows up and uses his rocket launcher to blow up the tank. Good job, KKK Rocket Man, dude. It's it's just an unfortunate costume. He he seemed like he he chose to not kill a Vietnamese child and instead raised her. So I think that's pretty un-KKK. I know that it's un-KKK and I know this guy's like the hero, but oh my god, that is the worst possible costume they could have gone with. Oh, yeah, sure. They should have... The changes could have been made. Changes could have been made. Uh, but there, there's some fighting, you know. Ninja Dry is doing ninja tricks. And as he does, his dad and his... uh And the female lead are doing tricks elsewhere. There's a moment where the dad just slits the throat of a Tengu and it's pretty brutal. Yeah, a lot of Tengu get kind of like hardcore disemboweled and like sliced uh, this uh, in this series. Like, uh, a lot of Toku shows are kind of bloodless, and I mean, there's no blood, there's no like gore, but you know, it's clear that these Tengu are living things that are being killed. It's like the Gorman and Gokaiger. Like, they're alive, they have conversations, but they die. And apparently, the uh, finisher in this series is magnetized vacuum sword, which I'm not entirely sure how that works. Uh, it's magnetized light vacuum sword, and, I mean, look, I 
I've seen enough of these shows I can guess what's a techno babble. I'm guessing he uses photons to ionize the air and create a path for his sword to go so that there's no resistance way he does it. Like, that's absolutely how it works, right? That's not how magnets or vacuums work. But that's how they say it works. Okay. But yeah, after he wipes out the Tengu, and uh, the evil ninjas disappear, and they no longer have their cannon, so the day is saved. Uh, the episode ends with the Rocket Man uh, being thanked for saving all the trains in Japan. Him just... It is full weird rocket outfit standing next to the rest of the heroes, which are just in their civilian gear at this point. Like, we've seen his face in the flashbacks. Why don't they just why don't they just use that actor? Uh probably because a white guy would have known what that costume looked like. <laughs> Fair enough. But yeah, they ask him why he let everyone think he was dead in Vietnam. He was like, uh, you know, I <laughs> Vietnam War kinda sucked, so I kinda just want civilian life, so I went and raised the girl in the mountains, you know. I, f- I found someone I want to protect more than anything else. So, hey. I'm a nice guy. And as he drives off, they're like, uh, the main character was able to sense his amazing kindness as a human being far exceeded his fame as a sniper in Vietnam. Snipers generally not known for kindness. Especially rocket snipers, Harry. Yeah, like, I, I, that's not an insult towards snipers. Like, I'm sure in their civilian lives, there's many snipers that are, like, super gentle people. It's just, like, as a profession, it's kind of not for the faint-hearted. Anyway, that's the episode. And all I'll mention is that uh, the next episode preview has a devil ninja and a prison ninja fighting each other to see who will be sacrificed to Satan. The show maybe is great. <laughs> we might have to come back to this one, Harry. So that's the episode of my birth. Yeah, like, I I, I love it. I love the the rockets and explosions and stuff. Uh, so here's a weird parallel. Uh, our, our dad, you know, served in Vietnam. He was actually in the Rocket Launcher Corps. <laughs> is this our secret origin, Sam? Uh, may- maybe? I don't know. Probably not. I don't seem to recall being raised in the mountains of Vietnam. Well, they always change it for the for the full series, but I don't know. Maybe the mountains of, like, you know, uh, Central California. Yeah. Are there mountains in Central California, or is it pretty flat? J- Japan doesn't know the difference between Visalia and Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, just a couple quick views back at Classic Toku, and us just having a bit of fun and we've we've been watching toku for a while now and because we know how some of it works we decided to just do a couple quick episodes and then have a fun game where we are going to create our own toku show yes uh based off random uh random numbers random suggestions random uh words that we come up with uh harry explain how it works so lots of toku series they're a bit like random concepts and stuff jammed together like hey uh Kokaiger is space, pirates, keys, legends, stuff like that. Uh, Gaim is feudal Japan, orange, dancing, things like that. So we're just going to, we're going to some online random generators, just Googling basically random word, random job, whatever. And we're going to see where that goes. Starting off with our main character. We are going to randomly determine a age and a job and a, and a location. And then we're going to throw a couple of random uh, words or phrases on the end of that, which we need to integrate into the series. And then we're just going to do just a very quick uh, brainstorm elevator pitch for what the series might look like. All right, so I'm going to start with the random age. Hopefully this is not, like, below 10, or else it'll be weird. 48. Okay, 48. Middle-aged. Yeah, uh, so probably a family man, or woman. You know what, let's go with woman. Uh, family woman? Yeah, we need more ladies in Doku. Uh, random profession. Random profession, Go. Stripper? No. Okay, new random job. God damn it. Why? Really? Really, Harry? 
extruding, forming, pressing, and compacting machine operators and tenders. Okay. So, <laughs> so they work in a factory. Yeah, work in a factory. They work like a, an injection mold thing, you know, that makes parts for different, you know, they, they get in order. Like, hey, you're making this many of things. Let's see what else. Uh, random location. Okay, first was Antarctica, second is the middle of the ocean. No, that works. Hold on. Okay, no, wait. I, I went for landmass, and it's in Canada. Okay. It's in Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan. A little bit north of LaRange to the left of Mississippi. <laughs> and to the right of Pine House. Uh, shout out to all our listeners in Pine House. Yeah, Pine House represent. All right. So, a factory worker, 48 years old, in Canada. Cool. Okay. So, yeah, that's that works a lot. That. That makes a lot of sense. Just raising a family in the wilderness, I envision a lot of fights in the forest. A lot of fights near, like, rivers and lakes. Just a very nature-heavy is where we're going to be going with this series. Uh, sure, yeah. I mean, do do we want to make jokes about Canada? Uh, absolutely, but let's get the one or two random concepts that we have to integrate. So we have a person. What happens to them? What is the plot that slams into their face? Random noun generator? Yes. And we're doing two random nouns, because it's like common writers and stuff like that. They're usually combinations of two. So they are... Event and tankful? What? No, two more. Dig and proliferation. I like that. I like that. Dig and proliferation. They work for an oil company. For a fracking company. Or or, or are the villains the fracking company? Well, I mean, uh, yes, yes, they are, but... Okay, hold on. She's, so, dig proliferation. So, let's say, yeah, the villain, well, it's like fracking, they've been fracking. And they've awoken something from the deep. Yes, and she's just, like, a factory worker in the region, and, like, because she's been a local the whole time, maybe she, like, studied geology in, you know, college, but, you know, she has a factory job, because, you know, she wasn't able to find a teaching position. But is she, like, the one who's like, no, you're gonna awaken something, like, these readings, you're gonna create explosions or whatever. I don't, I don't think she was involved with the fracking before uh, the thing awoke and, uh, and she was attacked. Or, uh, or one of her family was attacked. And she had to go and rescue them. At which point uh, she gained powers from proliferation. Uh, what's, what's a proliferation? What can we do with that, Harry? I don't know prol- proliferation. I mean, she could have... It's multiplying. It's like expanding. Uh, it's... Uh, what's growth? Um, what, what was she molding, Harry? Did she... Did she accidentally create something in the mold that bonded with her? Is she Venom? I was more thinking she, like, used the factor machines to, like, make her suit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. So she uses the factory, the ejection molds, to create her suit. And as the series goes on and it gets damaged, you know, she's putting new stuff on and she's designing it to uh, combat the specific monsters she's finding. That's actually a really great explanation for why she has more stuff. She's just, like, making the best it goes on. Like, she's, she's a factory worker. Like, there's... So, oh, oh, we can have a thing where, you know, the factory, it's getting new jobs, and so as they get it, she, like, sees it, like, wait, I can use this design, it'll help me beat this monster that's woken up. Mm-hmm. Let's randomly generate some products. Uh, it's just Toku toys, that's too recursive. <laughs> I went to today's deals. Alright, and the first one is a smokeless indoor grill. So that can be, like, her base form, that's, like, it's a grill, so it's she has heat, you know, attacks and stuff like that. Okay. She fries the enemies. Yeah, absolutely. And it, you know, combines. It combines with the fracking people, like she's getting uh, some natural gases from them to uh, to power up her stuff. Yeah, and then scrolling down a little bit, what else do I see? Uh, 
Sonic toothbrush? Oh, that's actually, it's like a Sonic weapon. So that could be like her sword weapon thing. Like when she gets her first upgrade. So like she's attacking them with Sonic weapons and like... And a vibro sword. Yeah, vibro sword. She's got a vibro sword. She's getting dangerous. Heck yeah. All right, Harry, is that a series? A fracking company awakens monsters in the Canadian wilderness. And so a hardworking single mother raising a family has to build a costume to protect them with a... With merchandise-related uh, powers, such as, like, such as a grill and a vibrosword. I'd watch that. I kind of would, too. That sounds better than some of the CW Hero stuff. Yeah, probably better than some of the, the later seasons of Arrow. Early seasons were so fucking good. We're clearly big idiots. We like Toku. We've been watching for a while. Sam, it's been a year. Do you regret starting this podcast? Sometimes. Sometimes. But we're kind of pot-committed now. Well, fair enough. In that case, uh, that that can end our fun little excursion for this episode. And next episode, we're going right back into a regular coverage with Pirates and Togo Kaiger, uh, getting the plot going as as the second arc wraps up uh, in Common Rider Gaim, episodes five and six. We get some more Common Riders. We hit some interesting, weird translation glitches that will be weird to explain. Okay. And Sam. Uh, you know how I've wished, uh, you know how I've wished for major LGBT representation in these shows. Uh, are you going to regret that wish? Maybe. It's complicated. <laughs>